it's hard to be bearish ETH above 3K, in my opinion. Congrats, the three-week bear market is over. Oh, no, I'm not saying didn't say <laughs> you it. You can't say, say it. it. It's over it. this week. It's we'll over see what next week. week. <laughs> we'll see what next week brings. All right, guys, it is the second week of February. David, what time is it? It's the Friday Bankless Weekly Roll-Up Time, Ryan, and this one is going to be a doozy. Uh, this one is going to be like two hours long. So much crazy <laughs> stuff happened People. in crypto, uh, and I don't even know where to start. So many things happened in like every single different sector. We got Bitcoin yes. stuff to talk about. We got exchange hacks to talk about. We have social dynamics to talk about. We had, like The amount of NFT things that are happening is absolutely insane. Oh uh, my God, where to even start? Well, we could start with uh, the world's worst crypto bank robbers. That happened this week, okay? <laughs> there was an FBI bust, a hilarious story, all right? This should be mm -hmm. circulating on late night. It's that funny. So we're going to talk about that $3.6 billion heist, and it caught up with them. Heisted by insane people. By lunatics. <laughs> lunatics robbed Stay a bank. Tuned. Oh Stay tuned God. to the roll-up just for that story. It's worth it. Also, Apple uh, Tap, you can now pay via crypto adoption. Uh, BlackRock is getting into crypto as well. The world's largest asset manager, I believe. They're finally coming to crypto. Gucci buying some land. Where? In the metaverse. And the crypto Super Bowl. That's what I'm calling it, David, because mm -hmm. I think we're going to be inundated by crypto Super Bowl commercials. And uh, I might just watch the Super Bowl for that. <laughs> I don't know there's if you're a bunch watching, of but... There's a bunch of predictions about like, all right, which NFT projects are making it into the Super Bowl? Are Bored Apes going to make an appearance? What will happen what, to prices? What, what is Budweiser <laughs> going to do? Yeah, right. Like, yeah, people are playing that game right now. Yeah, uh, it's going to be fun. Guys, uh, a lot of things. But uh, first, we want to tell you about a couple of announcements. Uh, the first is this, David. It's been a long time since we talked about Bankless Premium Membership. And we appreciate our friend uh, Hardison underscore CJ on Twitter tweeting this out, how I felt listening to Bankless HQ premium feed episode. Top secret, you know, the Bankless premium mm -hmm. episode. David, we're putting some awesome content out on that. And I think if you are not a premium subscriber, you don't have access to that. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's a whole podcast that you don't it's, get. It's a whole extra Bankless podcast that comes mm -hmm. at you. In addition to um, podcasts come early at mm -hmm. you on the premium feed. There's a lot of other benefits to becoming a subscriber. Anything else you want to mention? Yeah, the uh, in parentheses, coffee mug with the semiconductor for the win at Trustless State. What the hell does that mean? Well, <laughs> Bankless Premium subscribers definitely know. Uh, and so the debrief episodes are where Ryan and I just like reflect on the episode that we uh, just recorded prior uh, and just kind of uh, capture and, and connect that to uh, other existing knowledge that we think that we have about the rest of the crypto space. So uh, some alpha, question mark. Yeah, also, you get a nice um, premium badge, NFT badge for do, 2022 you when you sign up. and you Which get unlocks some things. Unlocks things, maybe things that are coming in the future. You get yield guides, premium access, lots of good benefits there. Uh, also, David, we should talk a bit about our friends at Zerion. This is not my wallet, but it's a wallet I would like to have. And what's cool about Zerion, of course, is this gives you one-click access to your entire DeFi portfolio across chains. So it's not, no longer just about Ethereum mainnet. Now we're looking at some layer two chains here. So we're looking at Optimism, we're looking at Avalanche. Uh, they're adding more networks over time. So I think they have seven already listed. And a major theme for this year has been the great migration from L1 Ethereum to uh, layer two. And you can bridge within Zerion as well. Take a look at these bridging functions, David. 
Bridger. There are so many different bridges, bridges out there. There are so many different destinations out there. Xerion supports seven different chains, but all inside of just one Xerion application, in addition to all the bridges that can get you onto those different chains. So uh, sometimes I get caught up in choice paralysis. Like, do I use Hop? Do I use Connect? Like, do I use Mover? Where do I go do next? I use, where do I go? Like, and so Xerion can just make that super simple for you all in one place. And that is the power of Xerion. Uh, blockchains belong in the back. Uh, and Xerion puts itself in the front, so you don't have to deal with the blockchain. Just Look use Xerion. NFT viewer too. It's really it's mm-hmm. all your your assets. So connect your wallet, start using Xerion, hop across some bridges. We'll include a link to the show notes so you can do that. All right, David, markets time, man. Markets. Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Good baby. Where's Good it going? We're up. happy about it. We're happy about it. Yeah. Bitcoin started the week at thirty-six thousand six hundred dollars, which was also the low. And it is currently clocking in at $45,000, $45,250, which is also the high. So started the week at the low, ended the week at the high. It's the best possible outcome. Uh, we're real happy about it. So uh, up 20% this week, Ryan. How about Ether? What's Ether doing? Yeah, Ether well. start, started the week at $2,600, currently at $3,212. Uh, the high is $3,280, so almost currently at its high, uh, up also roughly 20% on the week. Almost as much as Bitcoin. Bitcoin did win the race this week. I think Bitcoin is up like 1% to 2% more than Ether this week. That's pretty impressive, and I, th- I feel like it's getting rid of those uh, bull market blues. I feel like the market is bear, moving- Bear market blues? Yeah, bear market, bear market blues. blues. Uh, it's, I feel like the market is moving squarely into like uh, neutral territory. Like We're not mm-hmm. sure what comes next, but we're no longer as bearish. It's hard to be bearish ETH above 3K, in my opinion. Congrats, the three-week bear market is over. <laughs> I'm not saying it didn't say You can't say, say it. it. It's over this week. We'll see what next week. We'll see what next week brings. But um, yeah, it's it's you know definitely looking good on this pop back up. How about the ETH Bitcoin ratio? How's that looking? Down just a little bit. Down. I think it was at 0.074 last week. It is currently at 0.071. So down a little bit. Um, no, not too much action there. Bed index, as usual, is tracking all of these assets. So this is what it looks like on the one week. It is up uh, about 7.3%. This is, of course, Bitcoin, Ether, and DeFi. Also, if you want to get in some more risky, I guess a bit higher risk and reward DeFi assets, we have the uh, Bankless DeFi Innovation Index. This is the GMI token. Going to make it. It's an index of all of these like DeFi 2.0 protocols. And in addition to... Uh, the DPI, this is a pretty good tracker of what DeFi is up to. And it doesn't look great on the month, of course, like anything. Looks pretty good on the week, though. Up 10% it beat, it, this week. It beat bed on the week, yeah. So newer DeFi tokens, more experimental DeFi tokens, more on-the-frontier DeFi tokens. Uh, more more upside if things go well, more downside if they don't. But uh, this week, it beat out the bed index. So the bankless GMI index, uh, which has a, a much... Uh, the bed index only has three assets, right? But I guess DPI has many, many, many. The bankless uh, GMI index uh, has a much uh, larger number of assets in it. Um, things like Tokamak, uh, things like Ohm, uh, a b- bunch of the newer like DeFi 2.0 type stuff. Uh, and so if that is your cup of tea, uh, go check that out at uh, the Index Co-op application. Uh, another thing to check out is the growth stats on Maker. They just passed 10 billion die. Yay. Yay. It's pretty impressive. You don't have your soundboard, so you can't click the applause. No, it, doing it, manually doing, doing, doing applause. Manually. That, that's 10 billion die. That's $10 billion of non-blacklistable stable coins, which is a really important point. Die does not have a blacklist, and there's 10 billion of them out there. 
Um, I would like although although 10X. I will say, you know, the USDC or anything that's centralized that is backing some of the collateral mm -hmm. of Maker could be blacklisted. But that's sure. uh, used to be a higher percentage. Now it's lower, right? And it's mm -hmm. um, you know it can be adjusted up or down based on based on that. But that's what the, that's what the maker contracts do. It takes risk into its contracts and it outputs uh, this unblacklistable stablecoin. So it's supposed to be a risk filter uh, using the, the strength of the MKR market cap and also kind of um, uh, uh, security through like mingling, right? Like, uh, and so it, I, I think it's a fair take to say that like even though that USDC inside of Maker Vaults is blacklistable, uh, the die on the other side of that is still like has strong I, security properties. I, I agree with that take too, and uh, I do think that blacklisting is yet another risk that Maker sort of tries to abstract and uh, mm -hmm. you know take away from from die. Um, but what's cool about this is ten billion is a big number, David. I remember mm -hmm. one of our early bankless podcast episodes maybe the first 10 the first dozen anyway mm -hmm. with mariano conti this is back in 2020 2020 i think and uh he gave out a number that blew people's minds at the time blew our minds at the time uh die was like under 100 million if i'm remembering correctly and he gave this crazy prediction that by the end of 2020 die might hit 10 billion dollars uh, yeah uh, sorry not 10 billion 1 billion dollars mm-hmm and now here we are at 10 billion. It's pretty crazy. The market cap of the supply of dye at that time was roughly $50 million. Uh, yeah. So a asking for a 1 billion supply was insane. Now we're at yeah. $10 billion. It was, it was at and, the time. Uh, and Maker, MKR is one of the few applications that's actually generating significant on-chain revenue via their product. And that is what stands out about MakerDAO versus any other thing that's in DeFi. And for some reason, the MKR prices does not reflect that. It's the turtle, man. It's it's slow and steady. It's like my turtle at mm -hmm. MT, David. It's just like, yeah. you got to love it. It's just mm -hmm. cranking up uh, on a yearly basis. And actually, we say it's slow, but this is pretty fast mm -hmm. for all other traditional markets to go from 50 million to 10 billion in like the course of two years. Um, let's talk about something else and that this is, is growing fast. This is fast. why this roll-up's going to last two hours. <laughs> <laughs> inflation is surging one 7.5%. Uh, this is annualized. This is inflation on U.S. dollars. So the inflation is continuing to heat up, crank up, even more than expected. Highest since 1982. The numbers just came out. I saw this meme. I thought it was kind of funny, kind of sad. What are you going to do? You just got to laugh at it. This is me washing $200 worth of groceries in 2022. And it's like this picture of like miniature a tiny fruit. sink, a miniature miniature fruit, yeah. miniature fruit yeah. and a tiny yeah. sink and a strainer. Yeah. Um, yeah, what's going on? I, I mean, I'm with regards to how this impacts crypto, I'm conflicted because like more in inflation drives people into harder assets like crypto assets, but also more inflation means the Federal Reserve is going to be more aggressive against fighting that, which means they're fighting our assets. So like I'm, I'm conflicted. Yeah, I um, I think ultimately this is part of the same story, which is um, you know crypto is going to do quite fine over time relative to to fiat, but um, yeah, who knows what it'll do in the short in the short run? I wonder if inflation is going away sometime this year. We're going to drop. Remember our Jim Bianco episode? He sort of predicted that it will get higher. It will also peak, and then by the end of the year, we might see something like three to four percent, right? As sort of the new normal for inflation right. moving forward. It's hard to know. Who knows? Yeah, we will figure it out. Guys, but uh, crypto is bullish regardless of inflation. Yeah, that that remains true. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about a bit more reasons why it is bullish when we get to releases. Before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. 
The Gemini Exchange has been my exchange of choice ever since I got into crypto. I use Gemini to both buy the dips and also manage my regular automatic monthly purchases of my preferred crypto asset. On Gemini, you'll find over 50 different cryptos, including many of the top DeFi and metaverse tokens like YFI and Axie Infinity. Using Gemini Earn, you can earn yield on your various cryptos, including 8% on the GUSD stablecoin. Gemini is available in all 50 states and more than 50 countries worldwide. So if you're looking to upgrade your crypto exchange, sign up at Gemini with gemini.com slash gobankless and get $15 of Bitcoin after you trade $100 or more within the first 30 days. That's gemini.com slash gobankless. Bankless is proud to be sponsored by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum that lets you trade any token at the current market price. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. The Uniswap Grants Program is accepting applications for grants. Do you have something of value that you think you want to contribute to the Uniswap ecosystem? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at uniswapgrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. The Brave browser is the user-first browser for the Web3 internet with over 50 million monthly active users. Control your digital footprint with built-in privacy and ad blocking. Inside the Brave browser, you'll find the Brave wallet, the first secure crypto wallet built natively inside of a Web3 crypto browser. Web3 is freedom from big tech and Wall Street, more control and better privacy. But there's a weak point in Web3, your crypto wallet. The Brave wallet is different. Brave wallet is built natively inside the Brave browser, no extension required, which gives the Brave wallet an extra level of security versus other wallets. With the Brave wallet, you can buy, store, send, and swap your crypto assets, and you can even manage your NFTs and connect to other wallets and DeFi apps, all from the security of the best privacy browser on the market. Whether you're new to crypto or a seasoned pro, it's time to switch to the Brave wallet. Download Brave at brave.com slash bankless and click the wallet icon to get started. All right, guys, we are back with the hot releases of the week. Let's start here. This uh, something is blooming, says the Lens Protocol. I think this is Aave's social network. That's what mm. Lens Protocol is. Mm -hmm. What's going on here, David? Yeah, this is the uh, hotly discussed uh, social Web3 social media platform being developed by some of the, the team behind Aave. Um, so everyone's kind of hungry for details, and we're starting to get some of those details out right now. I think the high-level TLDR, before we know too much, is that we are taking a social graph, as in like imagine like all of your connections on Twitter or Facebook. That's a social graph, like a social web, all of your connections. And then Lens Protocol is working on building that on-chain as part of like the trustless, verifiable, immutable properties that blockchains give it. And so that we can have um, a social graph like Facebook, but that's open rather than closed because Facebook doesn't let you, you know, export your social graph. This, because it's on chain, you can export your social graph and that makes it like, you know, composable. Other people can build on this uh, is the idea. And so this is a, an on-chain social graph that's being uh, deployed onto Polygon. So Polygon is the network of choice. Um, I think we're all kind of waiting to see what happens next and how this rollout plan uh, occurs. Um, we are in conversation with Christina from Ave, who is checking with uh, compliance as to whether she can come talk about this on a bankless panel about uh, social media and digital identity in the Web3 era. So hopefully stay tuned for that because it's going to be a really hot panel. Yeah, this is a bit more of a protocol than I thought it would be, David. There's no mm -hmm. app yet, but I guess right. that's what you have to build out first is sort of the protocol, the exactly. primitives for the social graph, and then you can build the apps on top of it. Uh, David, here's something from Celesta. So their data availability bridge 
uh, has launched, I believe. And Celesta is like a data availability layer. How would you explain what a data availability layer is, David? Yeah, so when you make a transaction on a blockchain, it gets embedded into a block. And that is you putting your data into a blockchain. And all, all blockchains that have a history store their history on their data availability layer. Now, we talk about like the modular concept of blockchains and how you can take apart each different module or component. And the data availability layer of blockchain is just one component that's separate from consensus. How consensus comes, how things come to consensus is different about what we are coming to consensus about. And data availability is what we are coming to consensus about or what we've already come to consensus about and now are now storing. Uh, and so this is an innovation in the storage aspect of what has already been uh, having consensus had about. Yes. Well, so, okay. So he, he, here, here's how I think of it. So we, we've got three layers in the modular blockchain, right? You have consensus. That's what's true. You have data availability. That's what's happened. And then you have execution. That's what's happening right now. And so the modular chain, like the modular blockchain design th splits these three pieces up into separate parts. And so Ethereum mainnet is really going to be the, uh, the consensus layer primarily. And then later when we have data uh, shards, it will turn into a data availability layer as well. So that means there's opportunity to outsource some of the transactions, the data availability transactions, which is basically the history, the blockchain history, if you will, to somewhere else. And Celesta thinks it can be somewhere else. Polygon also has a solution to this, like Immutable is offloading its data um, somewhere else right now, not on Ethereum main chain. So it's cool to see this, uh, this space emerge and it fits right into the modular chain thesis that we have. If you have no idea what we're talking about right now, go listen to the modular blockchain podcast that we put out uh, a few months ago, and that'll get you up to speed. Really important concept. Um, speaking of Polygon, David, Polygon Edge, it's a new product from, um, from Polygon. They, uh, it allows anyone to spin up their own EVM chain in minutes. So this is like sidechain as a service, I think. That's how, that's how I understand it. It has layer two support, more consensus modules, trustless bridging, that sort of thing. Uh, and you know, uh, founder of, of Polygon says multi-chain Ethereum is coming. Like It feels like it's here. What's your take on this? Yeah, well, we've seen how lucrative it is to take the Geth, uh, Geth code base and fork it and spin up your own L1. Oh, uh, Avalanche? So, uh, oh, you, you said it, not me, Ryan. Um, but yes, Avalanche. Uh, uh, Polygon Edge is turning this into a service. Like, yeah, like let's allow anyone who wants to spin up an EVM chain, uh, enable them to do that. Uh, and then it's just a super awesome uh, way to capture business and mindshare uh, if this becomes a valuable service. Um, uh, and maybe this is a litmus test as to like, do actually people want to spin up their own side chains or do they want to own, just issue their own L1 tokens? Like what does the market really want? Um, we'll find out. Yeah, I do think that side chains are, are gonna become somewhat of a commodity. If you could just like mm -hmm. spin them up and, and pump right. them out and print them like this as Poly Polygon is doing, uh, but it definitely builds the network effect for, um, for the EVM and things like this. Also speaking of network effects, looks like some of the layer ones are getting it. FTX, major exchange that you know, of course, it now supports Arbitrum on mainnet. So I think this is withdrawals and deposits mm -hmm. to and from Arbitrum, the way Binance supported it about a month ago. What's yep. weird here is like, uh, when Coinbase? Mm -hmm. Where's Coinbase when in all this? Yeah, Coinbase coming in third, at least. Uh, I mean, FTX saw the demand out of uh, using Binance to get Ether onto Arbitrum. So they're like, even FTX, which isn't inher inherently Ethereum aligned, is like, oh, we want some of that, that value too. Uh, so they're doing it. Win Coinbase.
when Coinbase, Brian, don't make me text you. <laughs> or actually, we should probably should text him. You know, we Brian, should, we should text him. Yeah. Let's, nah. let's work on that. Uh, raises on the raises section. Uh, speaking of Polygon, we were earlier. They just raised $450 million from Sequoia Capital India, SoftBank, and Tiger Global. Pretty massive raise for this yeah. layer two, which is really what Polygon is. It has side chains, but it has a, a suite of layer two uh, solutions as well. And it just goes to show you, show you alternative layer ones aren't the only ones building out war chests, right? This is going to be very much uh, a fight for the execution layer of crypto. Mm -hmm. And Polygon is uh, raising a war chest in order to engage in that fight. Yeah, we all know that we're moving into a multi-chain world, whether it's a multi-layer one world or a multi-layer two world. And Polygon kind of has real estate in both sides. Uh, and so it's kind of like a bet on a many-chain world. And we know that we can't have one dominant single blockchain like in order to scale this ecosystem, we need to have many chains. Guess who has many chains? Polygon. Polygon's got a lot of chains. <laughs> yes. They got chains of every flavor. Yeah. L2 chains, L1 <laughs> chains, side chains, any chain you want is Polygon. Uh, let's talk about this raise too. Alchemy, $200 million raise at a $10.2 billion valuation. Crazy. $10.2 billion. If you guys don't know what Alchemy is, it's probably because it, it, it uh, sits behind the scenes. Yep. Anytime you use like MetaMask or many of the apps today, there's, there's that historical data that your DeFi apps need to call. And likely they're calling something like Alchemy. Alchemy powers a ton of this. It's sort of like the AWS for blockchain data. So we're not talking about kind of the consensus layer running ETH nodes so much as all of the indexing that needs to happen to make the front ends of DeFi applications work. All, like a ton of that is powered by Alchemy. So that's how you justify that $10.2 billion valuation, just the, the massive growth of DeFi and blockchain indexing. Um, I do think they have plans in the future to decentralize a little bit, but they are, they are centralized right now. Um, so think of this as like blockchain AWS, in my opinion. Yep. Any thoughts on that? Nope, that's about right. Jobs time, David. You oh ready, boy. man? Yeah, You're not in your regular place. I don't know if you can I, uh, get up and dance I'm, for this. I'm, but, uh, I'm sitting down, so I'm, not, I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting, sitting down dancing today. You're sitting down celebrating. <laughs> Guys, this is your reminder. We do this weekly because it's important. 2022 could be the year you get a job in crypto. Because we got jobs, don't we? Lots of jobs. jobs. Binders full of jobs. <laughs> we got tons of jobs. A senior product engineer at Moment Ranks, a community manager as a contractor at DYDX, governance growth lead at DYDX, business operations and finance associate, DYDX, marketing associate, DYDX, lots of different skill sets here. Accountant, smart DeFi, Web3 engineer at Goldfinch, a senior Go Rust engineer at Syndica, smart contract tech lead at StarX as well. I could go on, but there's this new feature on the Bankless Job Boards I should mention as well. We are building a talent collective. Mm. So this is a little bit different. This is where the talent gets to submit their profile, and then the Web3 companies get it's to a bit on prospect you. that toy. Yeah, it's like, so think of like LinkedIn, your own Web3 LinkedIn profile, and uh, employers come to you. So maybe you want to play a little hard to get, or just put the feelers mm -hmm. out there. All right. Uh, submit your profile to the talent section, and uh, you know, Web three job finders, Web three uh, hire talent hires, talent acquisition will come find you. That's the way this network works. Uh, Let so me tell you, cool. in this day and age in the crypto industry, uh, uh, the market favors talent more than it does jobs. There yeah. are more jobs than there are talent. <laughs> they will uh, find you. They will find you. Yeah. <laughs> 
put yourself out there. If you are passively seeking, it's a good idea. And of course, uh, if you're an employer, you know we got some we got some talented folks in the bankless community mm-hmm. that you can mm-hmm. connect with. Uh, all right, David, let's move to news, <laughs> Talent, man. Talented folks, huh? Let's get into yeah. this. We have some talented folks. We have some not-so-talented folks as well in crypto, to be fair. <laughs> He's, uh, this that, is a story. Well, yeah, who are they actually talented or not is something that we're going to have to figure out. All right, we, we, we have to start with the big headline. Okay, okay. so for, for context, in 2016, a very significant exchange called Bitfinex got uh, atta- uh, hacked for what was then, I think, like $72 million worth of Bitcoin, uh, over 100,000 Bitcoins. I think it was like 116,000 Bitcoins. So remember, 21 21 million supply, 116,000 of those Bitcoins was hacked out of the Bitfinex exchange. It's like Michael Saylor levels of Bitcoin. Yes, 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 that's exactly right. I think that's exactly around the right number. Imagine all of Michael Saylor's Bitcoins getting hacked from this exchange. A very big deal. This happened before my time in crypto. Um, uh, But it it just caused a bunch of of drama and hubbub and no one knows what happened to the Bitcoins. Um, turns out uh, the Department of Justice found the Bitcoins uh, in the hands of two individuals, uh, Isla Lichtenstein, 34, and his wife, Heather Morgan, uh, both citi- uh, uh, residents of New York, were arrested and charged with money laundering of the cryptocurrency stolen from Bitfinex in 2016. The Department of Justice says that it has recovered a whopping $3.6 billion worth of the, the of Bitcoin. Uh, I All think right. they recovered something like 90,000, 96,000 of the 116,000. So they not not all of it, but like significantly most of it. So this is a big bust uh, and a good recovery. And so, you know, when I first read this, I was I was picturing some like, you know, elite crypto hackers out right, there, yeah. some shadowy mm-hmm. super coders, right? right? Not only did they heist living off off of the United States somewhere else. Yeah, no, no, you know, they didn't only heist billions of dollars worth of crypto, but they also hid it for like for almost a decade. Yeah. Okay. So, like, what are we expecting there? And, uh, yeah. So, I was expecting some sort of shadowy super coder to emerge, but instead, we got something else. David, what did we get? <laughs> we got these ridiculous, insane people who, <laughs> like, this, the 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 woman wants to be a rapper, and she's terrible. I would, uh, struggling she's, influencer it, is str- what I might say. Significantly struggling, rightfully so, struggling influencer <laughs> uh, who is like acting like a actual actual lunatic on tiktok and instagram making very just ridiculous raps uh the behavior of these two people who are very very public is insane it's insane who they are they are not right in the head and like i'm trying to like think that it's a show but i don't think it's a show i think it's real um here's a video of her eating these fluffy pancakes and commentating on it uh we'll put the links in the show notes about how crazy some of this stuff is it's just some fun her- it's just good entertainment you know it, it's-, it's one of those things it's like i i watch these videos i'm like why do i even care about this world <laughs> like, look at this what the hell is going on <laughs> There's this, okay for the listeners. This is a uh, this is the 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 lady the woman hacker uh, drinking Heather. a uh, Heather uh, drinking a, a bottle of something with her toe with her feet. So like bottle in her feet, drinking it, going straight to the mouth. This was this was a couple. Oh my god! 
It's absolutely billionaires insane. are getting weird, David. That's what's going. Like this person's a billionaire hacker, right? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. You know, next slide. What is this? Yeah. So this, this is a Tarun Chitra. We've had him on the podcast. He used to host these like kind of Web three uh, styled talks, uh, dinners every now and then. Uh, and he hosted Heather Morgan once uh, once at one of these talks in 2019. Uh, and the uh, the the talk that Heather gave was how to socially social engineer your way into anything. And so she gave like uh, these. I, I'd uh, say she's qualified. <laughs> yeah, quite qual- clearly she took her own advice. I mean, this is three years after she uh, and, and her husband hacked Bitfinex, right? Allegedly hacked Bitfinex. Uh, and so like some of the p- pictures that came out from this were absolutely insane. Did you have that that, that tweet uh, pulled up? Oh, there's uh, more than this. Uh, yeah, scroll scroll down. There's a, a few pictures. Yeah, here we oh, go. This. Here we go. How to socially a- engineer your way into everything from proving cold email tactics to event crashing and infiltrating black and black markets around the world. There's something for everyone. Well, uh, let's okay. go to the next photo. Yeah. So like, um, uh, actually, go, go to the next one. Go to the next one. Uh, okay, useful objects for for event crashing: badges, press passes, professional camera, a notebook, money for tipping if you needed to bribe people your way out of it, a black shirt because you look like security, layered outfits and accessories. Okay, <laughs> this so is so shady. We actually we, we actually don't know how we are still discovering how they actually uh, got the Bitfinex bitcoins. We don't know that yet. Uh, so that is. I, I mean, this might be the answer, right? This she might pro- be the they answer. They probably clearly... socially engineered their way into like three point right. six billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. Right, and so okay, just so TLDR and social engineering. It's not like Hacker Man where you're tapping on your keyboard, exploiting some weakness in Bit and Bitfinex's like walls. Uh, it's it's doing something like calling an employee, pretending you're like an, an exec, and you get them to give you some information. And so it's a social, it's social. Like you are talking to someone, and they just give you something. It's way easier, and it's probably easier. like a greater you know weakness in most of mm-hmm. our systems and structures. Uh, yeah, some most, places most I've attacks. infiltrated. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Imagine documenting your crimes like this, David. Mm-hmm. Just for the clout, crazy. you know. It's you just gotta, crazy. you gotta make sure everyone knows. Um, this is a tweet from uh, Alistair Malin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Imagine being a hacker or money launderer and keeping the unencrypted private keys to three point five billion dollars of Bitcoin in an online account linked to your name. Mind blown. Are you telling me that this is how this is where the FBI found it? It yeah, wasn't so, like on a ledger. It's not on some like, you know, private keys that they manage, mm-hmm. you know, encrypted somewhere. This is on a um, an unencrypted online account linked no, so, to their okay, names. So it, it, it was encrypted, but apparently very poorly. So here's from, from the DOJ report. They say, after the execution of court authorized search warrants of online accounts controlled by Liechtenstein and Morgan, special agents obtained access to files within an online account controlled by Liechtenstein those files contained the private keys required to access the digital wallets that directly received the, fu- uh, the funds stolen from Bitfinex uh, and allowed the special agents to lawfully seize and recover more than 94,000 Bitcoins that had been stolen, covered Bitcoins uh, valued at $3.6 billion. Uh, so apparently it actually was encrypted. There's another report, and uh, the link in the show notes will, will provide more details. But apparently it was just encrypted poorly. Uh, ah, you know, okay. There, there is the good and bad encryption out there. And like, so they stored it online with poor encryption. Um, under know, their names, like, under their own names. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but again, how we actually know these people attacked Bitfinex, we don't know. We just know that they had the bitcoins and they were like, you know, money laundering it. David, why did it take the FBI so long to find this? I don't know. I don't know. Well, like, we're gonna have to. This is gonna be an ongoing like report. We're gonna we're gonna be following this one for a while. I mean, I I think the other big question is, uh, okay, three point six billion dollars. 
Uh, what happens ago. now? The FBI right, okay. owns it. This is they've part seized of the stuff in the past, and they've like in in you know previous seizures like the Silk Road, they've mm-hmm. auctioned it off, right? Right. Is that kind mm-hmm. of what happens, or where do the proceeds go? Who actually should be, own this money? Yeah, so this is part of this big mess. And so there is uh, Bitfinex attempted to make all of its customers whole again via issuing um, equity or IOUs to say, hey, we're going to repay you guys once we figure it out. And I, from like my limited knowledge on this, it's like they actually did make customers whole again via a combination of issuing this Leo token, which is kind of like a pseudo equity. It was like Bitfinex's version of BNB. Yeah. Uh, and you actually could see the Leo token price. Leo was a promise... It was either it was some sort of like commitment on like uh, value or if you ever got if they ever got the Bitcoin pseudo back. equity kind of thing pseudo yes. equity with a promise to repay yeah. Bitcoins if it was re uh, re seized by the FBI and then given back to Bitfinex the rightful owner of the Bit- of, of the Bitcoins but like customers have kind of been more or less paid out by this by this hack everyone felt good with it they more, felt like, more it's not less. like Mount Gox they felt like they were made whole right exactly. You could actually see the Leo token uh, spike in price well before this news broke. So like no people way. start, yeah, yeah, efficient markets. Yeah, right. Uh, and so, but now the Leo, the Leo token price, which is in theory an IOU based on the backings of the Bitcoins that's now been seized, it went from something like five dollars to eight dollars on the news that the Bitcoin had actually been seized. But now there's a bunch of drama about who actually gets the Bitcoins because people have differing opinions on this. Uh, So a quote from Eric Voorhees says, Bitfinex doesn't owe me anything. They made me whole years ago. Eric Voorhees lost some Bitcoins in the Bitfinex attack. But apparently many customers disagree, uh, particularly given Bitcoin's appreciation from less than $600 in August 2016 when the exploit happened to around $44,000 now. The tokens were worth about $71 million at the time of the hack, the Bitcoins, with, and now is uh, valued at $4.5 billion. All, all, uh, oh, there's Bitcoins definitely, have. look, this is going to be settled in courts, right? There's going to be totally. lawsuits from, oh, yes. from customer. Like mm-hmm. there's going to be, this is going to be a long drawn out process to see who right. actually gets that money. Right. Uh, so like some customer says, I think that this is ridiculous. That's my Bitcoin that they took from my multi-sig wallet. I would like my Bitcoin back. Arnoff, this customer says he doesn't remember if he signed away any rights to his stolen Bitcoin while accepting the Bitfinex reimbursement. They can have their equity back, says Arnoff, who claims to own about $50,000 of illiquid Bitfinex stock. I'll take my Bitcoin. Thank you <laughs> yeah. very much. So t- TBD on how this Bitcoin actually gets distributed. Man, uh, hilarious, hilarious. I guess, you know, what are the takeaways other than like something like this is going to make the best crypto movie ever? Like Um, incidents like this. So a super cringe crypto movie. (laughs) (laughs) Are you embarrassed that this is why we're making headlines? It's like one of those things, like if you go, like if listeners are that curious, go to the link in the show notes, go to this uh, Heather's Twitter page and, and TikTok page and like watch how absurd her behavior is as an individual no, no, on just, this planet. Just stay tuned for the moment of Zen. Stay tuned for the moment of Zen because episode. that's one, like I'll hide your kids because you don't want your kids <laughs> listening to it. Uh, it's just, you can't make this up. You can't, if you were to write this down and like give this to like a producer of a movie, they'd be like, what the hell is this? Yeah. Like this is lunacy. It's absolutely insane. It's the best. It's the best. Books will be written. Movies will probably be made in the future. Uh, This is crypto. Every week, something like this happens. Uh, And on a completely different end of the spectrum, something equally loud also has happened in like the cryptosphere uh this has been a very touchy subject for a lot of people so we're just going to like cover this just the facts ma'am just the facts just the facts okay so the the facts are 
Brantley Milligan, uh, one of the OGs behind the ENS protocol, uh, has, and also has always been very, very publicly Catholic, had some 2016 tweets uh, merge talking um, very negatively about um, a lot of uh, individuals who identify uh, in certain capacities. Uh, he said uh, homosexual acts are evil. He also said yeah. contraception is a perversion, among other Sh things. So is porn and masturbation, you know, Catholic stuff. Out, very out loud and open, uh, and this has the and the, and the thing is like these tweets got surfaced from 2016, but then Brantley like doubled down on it on a public Twitter space, and that's really what really set off this conversation. Uh, since then, um, uh, uh, I believe members of the the, the um, uh, nonprofit uh, True Names Limited, the employees have voiced concerns about working with Brantley. Brantley has uh, his contract has been terminated with True Names Limited, and now as a result of this, there is kind of like this cultural uh, infighting, I guess, about like woke culture versus whatever the opposite of that is. And now we're trying to find out like, is this woke culture? Is this cancel culture? Or is this just people expressing like they don't want to work with somebody that says that they openly hate homosexuals? This is something that like the crypto community is trying to like unpack and come to terms with and, and come to some sort of conclusion and have closure with. Um, a lot of fighting on Twitter has been very draining. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it has been. It's just unfortunate. I guess we'll kind of leave this story there. I think it's, you know, for, unfortunate uh, overall. Uh, you know what? Actually, going back to the hack thing, the $3.6 billion hack, when that news broke, I almost felt like it was like some healing for crypto. Like crypto was getting very, you know, like heavy topics, very serious, right? right? And yeah. there's like a lot of vitriol back and forth. And then we got this great story and everyone's just like, okay, let's, let's pause. <laughs> let's have a moment and just laugh at the absurdity of what's going on. Let's well, get uh, weird so again. That, yeah, it's getting weird again. That felt pretty good. Uh, anyway, that's the story. We got some adoption news too, mm -hmm. man. Big institutions in crypto, they're here, they're coming. So KPMG of Canada, they just added Bitcoin and ETH to their balance sheet, people. That's huge. That's big. KPMG, Canada, big. big auditing firm, big accounting firm, and they're adding Ether and Bitcoin to their balance sheet. I can't it's believe two, I'm saying that. Two of the big four have Bitcoin and Ether on their balance sheet. By the sheets. way, we told you it would be Ether too. Sorry, not bankless listeners. I know you guys already know, but like we told people it wouldn't just be Bitcoin. It would also be Ether, and these are the assets that they're adding. Uh, pretty cool to see. BlackRock as well. What are they doing here, David? Uh, so offering crypto trading. Uh, so diving, getting their toes wet into the world of crypto. BlackRock, the world's biggest asset manager, biggest, most money under management, uh, starting to get its roots into the world of crypto. Um, I'm happy to say that in the last couple of weeks, I have helped a or helped convince a BlackRock VP person uh, exit from BlackRock and to <laughs> oh, Web3. Yeah, so yeah, got them into the world of Web3. Out, so out should of the we souls. thank you for this, David? The, the soul, yeah, you can thank me for this one. This is my doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, there, there's BlackRock who's getting into crypto, and then there's just straight up working in Web3. Um, go to where the puck is going, or skate to where the puck is going. Uh, but you know, good job, BlackRock. You're, you're catching up. Uh, trillions in assets. I trillions. mean, they're pretty massive. So, mm -hmm. uh, of course, they couldn't ignore this space for long. Uh, neither can Apple. New Apple iPhone feature giving merchants a way to accept crypto payments. And so, I don't know if you use Apple Pay on your All iPhone. Exclusively. Okay. Well, now mm -hmm. you can just connect it to a Coinbase card, a Crypto.com, Visa card, something like this. And you're basically just paying using crypto. This isn't super DeFi yet. But like, at least it's um, right bankless direction. money, right? Mm -hmm. Ether is bankless money. Bitcoin is ether uh, bankless money, and you could pay via that, which is pretty cool to see. Here's another uh, adoption story from our friends at Wells Fargo. 
What's Love this, them. David? It's yeah, a whole report. Yeah. Understanding cryptocurrencies. Is it too early or too late? Uh, it's too late Wells for Fargo. you, Wells Fargo. <laughs> <laughs> so Wells Fargo finally trying to do some education. I have not read this report, so we'll see how actually like good it's. It, I, it I mean, their main is. their main takeaways were look at this line. Cryptocurrencies appear to be near a hyper adoption phase, similar to that of the internet during the mid to late 1990s. Okay. That's bullish. I guess they're listening That's to bank lists. Yeah. <laughs> it's bullish crypto, mm-hmm. not so bullish Wells Fargo. Yeah, Where do you guys yeah. go if crypto's here to stay? Is Wells Fargo here to stay? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Ryan, do we just put them out of their misery and just buy Wells Fargo? <laughs> Someday. Someday. We're going to at least, uh, you know, the arenas that they have. Yeah. We got we to gotta replace Wells Fargo arenas with mm-hmm. like bankless, bankless arenas. Bankless arenas. arenas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, FTX, look, we already talked about this, but yeah. uh, layer two, FTX is supporting Arbitrum. Immutable, they now have USDC on well, the immutable chain on layer via, two via moon moon pay so usdc on immutable via moon pay so straight usdc on ramp right onto the l2 uh i think you can buy with debit and credit cards via moon pay so just easier yes. and easier to buy stuff on immutable uh also set is deploying its per- perpetual protocol on optimism what is this david yeah so the uh, with perp protocol perpetual protocol is being integrated into set which oh, is being okay. integrated on top of optimism. So we got a, we got a trifecta here. Uh, Perpetual Protocol, we did a Meet the Nation with them, uh, if you want to learn more about what they are, but uh, it's kind of all in the name. Uh, Perpetual Protocol, Perpetuals need to be on L2s because they have a lot of computation. They got integrated into Set Protocol, which is uh, uh, one of the same teams that's also powering the Index Co-op and some other assets. Uh, index and Protocol, basically. In, in the, yeah, yeah exactly. ETF. Yeah, uh, and now they are also on optimism. So kind of in one fellow swoop we got three things on optimism all at once so that's pretty cool stacking these money legos and now we're doing it we're doing the stacking on layer two now which is good uh, to see stacks on stacks uh look we haven't even gotten to ethereum stuff but the good news is the merge is coming soon merge soon Mm -hmm. then moon Mm-hmm. Actually, we'll probably move before that, but who knows? But the merge is going to happen soon. And how do we know it? It's because developers are talking about it. The people actually shipping the code where, you know, everyone's usually usually asking these people like, okay, when's it going to be done? When's it going to be merge. done? When so when they say it's coming, when they say there are PRs that are one major PR away from being ready for the merge, that's a good thing. And I think that's what Peter is saying. Who is Peter? And why is this this kind of a tweet important, David? Peter is an OG open source, uh, just open source maximalist, I think is the right way to call him. Just believes in open source uh, and has been working on the Geth client for since the beginning of Ethereum. Tireless, uh, tirelessly. Tirelessly. With, with, out, without thanks, sometimes, you know, without... Avalanche is built on Geth, by the way. Uh, and so, like, the entire Avalanche ecosystem was built on Peter and the Geth team because they were tirelessly building Geth because they believe in the concept of open source software. Peter tweets, although not really visible from the outside, the Go Ethereum code base, that's Geth, is one major uh, PR away, pull request away, from being done ready for the merge. And that PR itself is also done. It just needs test TM, hashtag Ethereum. Basically saying, like, yo, guys, like, we're kind of ready to, like, start to break this thing. And if we can't break this thing, that means we're ready, ready. Uh, if so when- we can't break this thing, David, I'm going to say it because Peter's not. But if if the tests, if there's not a major issue in the testing process, I think this thing goes live early summer. Yeah. yeah I, I think, think we're talking right. June and July. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As long mm-hmm. as we get through this testing phase without bugs. What do you yep. think? 
Yeah, that, I think that's right. Um, the, the merge is coming. Um, there are people murmuring about that's why Ether has done so well in the last two weeks. It could also just be reverting to me. Who knows? Um, but the merge trade is definitely a thing. Did you say reverting to meme? Mean. Oh, reverting I like reverting to meme, to meme too. That's good. <laughs> that's <laughs> I think not, we're doing that too. <laughs> reverting to ETH is ultra sound money. Reverting to meme. I think that's what's happening. This is. Th uh, th this is. I, I love these tweets because I never understand what these tweets are. Oh, but you this don't is understand this. Yeah, this is this is when developers tweet out um, uh, pick snapshots of the compiler, the the uh, command line, and In, they like, just get really really yeah, excited. Yeah, yeah. Like, I have no clue what this means. I have no clue going on. But this is the time of the year where developers tweet out command line snapshots and get really really excited, which means like something is happening in in the development space. Yeah, I'm excited. This is a test net from one of the Beacon Chain uh, developer groups. This is from uh, Prismatic Labs, who have the Prism uh, client. So good news too. And uh, can I summarize a little bit of this for the layman? Because we ch we, we just talked about like the you know, the dev takes. Um, but I think, and this is a tweet I just put out, I still don't think people get it, okay? Ethereum is about to become the world's best bond market after the merge. Where else can you get a bond denominated in, deflation, in a deflationary asset backed by an economy with triple digit GDP growth? The outflows from fiat bonds go to ETH. I still think this narrative about ETH being a non-sovereign bond store of values uh, is like unknown right now, David. It's like, I think that people still don't understand it. They still don't get it. This is like, this is like a T-bill, okay? Except it's, it's equity. So you get like upside exposure and it's denominated in a deflationary asset. And the economy is growing 400% per year. When I say the economy, I'm talking about block, block space sales. That's what it's grown. It grew f over 400% last year. Okay, imagine that. GDP in an emerging economy growing at 400%, the thing that you're buying is a bond in this economy, which is also like buying stock in their publicly traded market. And it's all denominated in an asset that is a store of value that's deflationary, unlike all of the fiat systems. Like, tell me how this doesn't just slurp out all of the liquidity and all of the capital from the traditional fiat bond system. I think that's what happens here. In the same way that like Bitcoin is kind of slurped out of uh, all the capital, like some of the capital from gold and is on a trajectory to do that more and more over time, Ethereum's coming for the bond market. You know, a 30, 40 trillion dollar non-sovereign or sovereign bond market. That's what it's going to do. Yeah. And I, I really just want to keep on going on this, but we have such a long agenda. Yeah, we do. And you know, the last thing I will say is like, so, so many, so many people, there's a lot of been, a lot of tribes, especially in the last half of 2021 around there's all these alternative layer ones. And people are doing this whole like relational trade, these comparative trades. Like, well, uh, if Ethereum is this market cap, then like Solana should be this market cap or Tezos should be this market cap or Avalanche should be this market cap. That is baking in the assumption that the, those assets actually compare to Ether the asset. Are you sure that they are actually comparable? Because I don't think they are. Uh, and so, you know, once this merge actually happens and some of these actual metrics actually start to become instantiated in the value of the asset, we will see whether those, uh, you can actually compare those things. I think it's apples to oranges. So do I. Time will tell. It's bullish, though. Look, the merge is going to be bullish. We all know this. Um, David, let's, uh, let's talk about this. Uh, Assange, Assange Dow. Dow. So this yeah. is Julian Assange Dow. Tell me about this story. Looks like it has support from a pretty major backer at this mm -hmm. point in time. So what is it? 
Yeah, this is coming off of the heels off of things like Constitution Dow and um, and uh, Ross Ulbricht Dow, Ulbricht Dow trying to get Ross uh, out of uh, prison for the Silk Road. Now we're uh, making Assange Dow to help fund uh, Julian Assange's basically like probably legal costs, uh, which we kind of know I think are coming because he's probably going to get uh, arrested somehow somewhere. Um, and so the Assange Dow has netted uh, $55 million in ether, 17,000 ether. Uh, Vitalik Buterin donated uh, 10 ether. Martin Koppelman also donated 10 ether. Uh, and so people are pushing ether into Assange Dow to help fight for Julian Assange. Here, look, it's a crypto use case. Uh, you can't do this with GoFundMe, okay? You try no, to do this with GoFundMe, no. they deplatform you. I mean, the, this is what happened with um, the, the Canadian trucker incident that, that, that's going on in, in Ottawa right now. And, you know, whether you support that or not, it doesn't really matter. They just got uh, deplatformed by GoFundMe. And actually, in this case, David, GoFundMe said to you, um, like the truckers that were raising money for this, this protest, uh, yeah, and we're going to confiscate your donations and give them to other charities. That's what they actually said at first, rather than refunds, right? It's like they our money system... I, I don't think that held up under scrutiny, but they can do that, right? Uh, this is why we need uncensorable money systems, right? Whether you whether it's this cause, uh, Assange Dow, you know, or some other cause that you support, like at some point in time, you're going to be on the receiving end of deplatforming, and that's not cool when it happens to you. Uh, so free money, public money systems, that's what we need. I'm glad um, there's ways to organize this now. Uh, David, we gotta zip through all of the NFT stuff okay, that's this, going. That, we're gonna go really fast here. Because let's talk about it, the Super it, Bowl, though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How many ads do you think are gonna be on the Super Bowl? I think I asked you this, and like a couple weeks ago, and you were like, like three or something. And I, I gave a higher number. I think I said like seven to ten or something. What about now? How many ads? How many crypto ads or NFT ads? Some allusion to crypto. How many do you think we'll see in the Super Bowl? Um, seven. Seven. See, it's seven. up. It's up. <laughs> it's by my estimates. All right, so like we know crypto exchanges are mm -hmm. going to be there, right? FTX. You got to see some FTX, definitely. Coinbase? I would be surprised un un if not. Uns but... Unsure about Coinbase, but FTX, definitely. Definitely. FTX, definitely. So there's going to be yeah. at least some exchanges there. And if you group like the crypto.coms in the mix too as crypto banks, then, you know, they'll be there. And then we've got like uh, Bud Light and Now. Okay, so we Dow. know that one. So we're, we we're know two, that's two coming. strong ones. Um, yeah. Bored Apes? Probably like this is what they, they're good at. So Bored Apes, like a likely third. We're already up to three. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you're going to see them scattered throughout all of these different brand commercials who just like, why do they come to NFTs? It's clout collection. They're trying to get the, you know, the coolest, hippest, you know, most vibey cult, you know, culture thing. And so they're, they're going to, they're going to have NFTs. Um, Dapper Labs is going to be there as well. So that's like a guaranteed three. We already have at least three that are guaranteed. So is I think we Is this a Super Bowl uh, commercial? Is this just launching NFTs for the Super Bowl? Is this actually? Oh, I don't know. That's true. I don't know if this is going to be a commercial. This is Super Bowl related though. I guess we'll see though. And um, yeah, I don't, watch the super like I, I kind of watch the super bowl yeah. like you know some years um but this year i'm watching it for crypto commercials totally uh, i also don't watch the super bowl i just make guacamole and drink ipas <laughs> <laughs> that's good we well, can still do that mm -hmm. this year with crypto oh, I, commercials I, I, I plan on it yeah all right and that's not the only thing about nfts uh nintendo also expressing interest in the metaverse and nfts and they feel their potential i mean think again Anybody that has a brand is probably interested in NFTs. So, you know, think Mario, think Yoshi, um, think all the things that you, Pokemon, all the things that Nintendo got. 
They want to make the metaverse out of it. And they kind of already have. Like, remember Pokemon Go? Um, yeah, what was, what was an early version of the metaverse other than Pokemon Go? Uh, right. And so, like, this is a natural fit. So, Nintendo getting into NFTs. Yeah, if, especially if you're a video game uh, company like uh, Zynga, they plan to launch NFT-based games this year. We just, last week, we talked about Immutable and GameStop creating a whole marketplace for this. Uh, this is a, um, a Ready Player Me punks game. Yeah, David, what is, is this? This isn't actually a game. It's like a meta platform. So if you have okay. a CryptoPunk, this is for you, uh, where you can get a new sort of like avatar to put your CryptoPunk avatar into. And then the avatar apparently can go in many, many different games. Uh, and so it's like one one NFT avatar thing to, that's interoperable with many, many, many games. And if you have a CryptoPunk, you can go claim one of these. Wow. So NFTs are becoming like, uh, you know, brand Legos in the same yes. way that DeFi yes. is like money Legos. Right. Mm-hmm. And totally. we're stacking these brand Legos up. Of course, who's the biggest brand Lego builder out there in the traditional space? It's Disney. And they are hiring a business developer with NFT experience right now. That's, that's a hot roll. Disney that's is coming. Okay. Gucci. Gucci, Gucci is buying digital land in the sandbox as part of a metaverse experience bid. Gucci, the, the apparel bag brand, wants yeah. virtual real estate. Like When I read this headline, I was like, oh, maybe the dot-com bubble of this age is like the metaverse bubble. A little bit, you know. You know all the brands. Uh, do you remember way back in the day? There was this uh, virtual world called Second Life, mm-hmm. where all of these brands started like putting up, you know, shops, shops and yeah. you know, storefronts mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And it totally died off because you know, people like Second Life was boring. People didn't actually interact on it. I wonder if this time it's a little different. And I, I, I understand why people resist that language. This time it's different. But this time we have assets. economics, yeah. assets, property rights. And I think that's the thing that's been missing from the virtual worlds and the metaverse this entire, like that's the thing that gives that the metaverse a bubble life. To happen. That, that's the thing that makes it will a bubble trickle happen. bubbles. <laughs> it will trigger bubbles, but mm-hmm. also it will trigger real organic things that last, and don't just like do the second life thing where it's kind of a ghost town of brands. There will be some ghost towns. Don't get me wrong. I just think um, previous digital worlds didn't have the the energy and life breathed into them that um, you know that, that crypto brings with with property rights at the base layer right how do you in a virtual world how do you in like in the second life Gucci store how do you buy stuff without crypto like right and does, how do you how does money work how do you like um, I guess become an entrepreneur and how do you like you know develop develop some some piece of property some land or some asset and make it better and receive upside for that right it's like mm-hmm. everything is kind of owned at the end of the day by second life isn't it mm-hmm. uh anyway we'll, we'll see rolling. how that develops <laughs> yeah celebrities too brie larson she's mm-hmm. buying nft what's this uh this is a, a new nft that i've seen actually only celebrities get so maybe celebrities are finally ahead of me and are you, you telling me they are? have their own telegram channels they're front yeah, running probably. us now yeah Come probably yeah. celebrity alpha nft flower girls <laughs> nft bought by brie larson uh if you want to uh, experience what anti nft hate is you can definitely scroll down on this tweet and oh, experience cool. it for yourself yeah. there's some brie larson hate too i'm yeah. sure oh my god that is a lot of capital letters oh my god oh this one's this was so someone ridiculous. just took a breath before they just typed yeah. in all caps for like okay so here's the top times. reply to Brie Larson's NFT. Oh my God, not you too. I don't know how many celebs need to hear this, but takes deep breath. It's literally written out. NFTs and crypto are horrendously bad for the environment, worse than the entire carbon footprint of some countries. So bad it's tearing Kazakhstan apart in civil war. NFTs are apparently causing civil wars in Kazakhstan, guys. Look at how many likes this has, David. Almost 12,000 likes. It's got more than the parent. It's, she's been ratioed. 
she's got ratioed. She got ratioed. Look, this if you if you haven't listened to Bankless long enough to know why this is a Ridiculous. terrible take and mm-hmm. completely false and inaccurate, mm-hmm. uh, definitely go listen to some more episodes. Uh, that's just crazy. It's just like but false. Also, stupid. RAC has a fantastic thread. We'll talk about that in a hot second. Yes, yes. Heidi Klum. Thread. Heidi Klum has a crypto punk. Crypto so basic, punk? Yeah, me and Heidi she didn't Klum go are, are, board are, basic, are basically BFFs. No, she has way too much taste. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah. Well, welcome to the family, Heidi. Uh, but when like turtle. You. But when turtle, seriously, Heidi. When, tur- when turtle. <laughs> yeah, that could be next. I'll ask her. Um, <laughs> What's okay, happening so here? here? China. You're getting into China CBDC type stuff. China. I think there's digital. There's there's three things here, David, that uh, all have the same thing in yes. common. Maybe yes. we just like read them out real quick and uh, talk about what they have in common. Uh, yeah. So we uh, we got uh, China and the CBDC at the uh, at the Olympics that's currently going on. Uh, we have Russia also coming to recognize crypto after recently banning it? Question mark. And then also an El Salvador Bitcoin ban. So three different countries. Bond. Bond, thank you. Um, <laughs> three different yeah. countries all doing some positive things in relation to crypto. Uh, interestingly enough, China rolling out the digital yuan, allowing a lot of people to use it in China while these Olympics are going on, has actually triggered the attention of the American regulators. And they're kind of like, oh, what? It's real? Like, oh, it's, people are, oh, we have to Stop do something using about that. this. Stop using don't that. Use that. <laughs> don't use that. That's bad. We don't want you to use that. What about Meanwhile, our sanctions? We're going to have another hearing about the American CBTC. We'll write uh, two more white papers. Yeah, absolutely ridiculous. Uh, so, uh, so some oh shit moments happening from uh, the West about how China's CBDC is working at the Olympics, and now people are able to experience it for themselves. So, that, so there's that. Um, all right, next I, one, which is Russia coming to recognize crypto. Unless you want to I, I think the unifying theme here is like all of these countries are kind of like um, a little F you to the IMF, right? I mean, they see the IMF as sort of a, a rival power. They see um, you know, s- systems like SWIFT being used for uh, Western US-led sanctions. And they're, you know, they're, they're, they're opting out. They're opting out of that. And you can kind of understand why. But this is basically the game theory that uh, crypto proponents have always predicted. This is the way that crypto gets propagated, where you know some country says, "Well, you, your payment system, your money system, is not credibly neutral. It's not credibly neutral. So we're going to either go off and build our own, or just default to one that is credibly neutral for the world." And this is why you think Putin is like embracing freedom here. He's just like, you know what? I'm I'm listening to Bankless, and I'm real excited about the the liberation those and the guys free- are right yeah those bankless guys are right i mean look at the potential for freedom for my <laughs> citizens and for the world and so that's why I'm, you think he's saying that no he's just saying f u i m f u.s doesn't control me so mm-hmm. we're just gonna embrace crypto to piss him off that's right. what's happening and- that's the game theory and the insane amount of sanctions that the United States has on Russia makes it a very easy choice to make. It's like, well, I can't use the global financial system because of sanctions. Uh, I will use crypto. Like, it's just a logical conclusion. And so how does the U.S. react as a result of this? Do they do they double down and go, like, start shaking their finger at the rest of the world and saying, nope, you have to use our SWIFT system. No one, no one used this. Or do they wisen up and actually think about how they can embrace and adopt crypto as payment rails maybe export the u.s dollar 
in order to try to retain some some uh, reserve currency status of, of the dollar and also adopt these credibly neutral rails. Obviously, we think they should do the second. And by the way, guys, we had a fantastic podcast with uh, Representative Tom Emmer that we're releasing next Monday where we discuss this very thing. So a uh, member of Congress who is, uh, you know, sees it the way we see it and is actually fighting for this sort of thing in, in Congress. So stay tuned for that. But Look, the geopolitics continue to play out and crypto remains a big part of the story. El Salvador as well, you know, it's like doing a Bitcoin bond, yeah. uh, hanging in there. Um, did you see this, by the way? So Ryan Selkis, our friend, he went on Fox News. He was on Tucker Carlson. Did you watch this? I, I did not watch it, but the face, the two faces right here are, are fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it was great here. This is like memeable as well. This is a meme mm -hmm. template. I, I mean, the TLDR is is basically, you know, uh, Ryan's had some things to say, negative things to say about the Biden administration's handling of crypto. And of course, like, you know, Fox News and Tucker Carlson absolutely eat that, absolutely eat that up. And so I invited him on to talk about um, the U.S.'s, you know, strategy on, on crypto and how they're falling behind. So it was a good conversation. But look. This is another example of crypto bleeding into every area of, of media and gaining some mainstream attention. You'd never see this sort of, you know, interview right. uh, a few years ago. I'm looking forward to additional interviews beyond Tucker Carlson. <laughs> Same. <laughs> okay, so this, this was pretty interesting. Speaking of media, uh, Binance taking a $200 million stake in Forbes. Um, I think the play here is Binance has just like bought $200 million worth of positive PR. Um, yeah. That's my kind of kind of negative take, but I think it's pretty accurate. Yeah, I think that's a good take. And um, I've always, you know, with crypto banks, I think we've always like been excited because they're pushing the adoption of crypto, yet also been wary because they can become the next centralization vector, right? And so like what happens when um, a major crypto bank starts owning the media? It's not something a protocol can do. Ethereum is never going to own a Forbes and be able to like, you know, co-opt and covert media. And so it's okay right now for crypto adoption, but uh, it's just another centralization vector. So yeah. like, I look at this with some hesitation. Binance, or Forbes says, Binance, good. Yeah, exactly, Head exactly. coming to you soon. <sighs> exactly. Um, David, uh, we're gonna get to the, the takes of the week in just a moment, but guys, we wanna thank the sponsors that made this episode possible first. Stay tuned. When you shop for plane tickets, you probably use Kayak, Expedia, or Google to compare ticket prices. So why would you limit yourself to just one exchange when you trade crypto? When you make your trades, you wanna make sure you're getting the best possible price on your trade. And that's why you should be using Matcha. Matcha has smart order routing that splits your trade across all the various liquidity sources in Ethereum. And is also operational on Polygon, Avalanche, Binance Smart Chain, and other chains. Trading on Matcha is super easy because it pools the liquidity for me in a single easy to use platform and allows me to make limit on-chain orders. So you can set and forget your DeFi trades and they will go through automatically while you're away. So when you're making a trade, head over to matcha.xyz slash bankless and connect your wallet to start getting the best prices and most liquidity when you trade your crypto assets. Slingshot is a decentralized trading platform that combines the performance and ease of a centralized exchange with the openness and transparency of DeFi. Slingshot aggregates liquidity from all of DeFi in order to find the best price on thousands of crypto assets. Every token on Slingshot comes with a price chart and trade logs to give you insights into the market's activity in real time. Slingshot is available on Polygon, Arbitrum, and Optimism, saving you from the high gas fees and low transaction speeds of the Ethereum L1. There are no fees to trade on Slingshot, and any positive slippage is given to the users. Trading on Slingshot 
slingshot is a social experience. You can even set your chat avatar to your favorite NFT or soon a slingshot 2099 NFT avatar. Once you bridge your assets to Polygon, Arbitrum, or Optimism, go to app.slingshot.finance to trade and use the chat box to share your trades with others and find other tokens to ape into. Arbitrum is an Ethereum scaling solution that's going to completely change how we use DeFi and NFTs. Over 250 projects have already deployed on Arbitrum, and Arbitrum's DeFi and NFT ecosystems are growing rapidly. Arbitrum increases Ethereum speed by orders of magnitude for a fraction of the cost of the average gas fee. When interacting with Arbitrum, you can get the performance of a centralized exchange while tapping into Ethereum's level of decentralization and security. If you're a developer who wants low gas fees and instant transactions for your users, visit developer.offchainlabs.com to get started building your application on Arbitrum. If you're a user, keep an eye out for your favorite DeFi apps or NFT projects building on Arbitrum. Many of your favorite apps are already live, with many more coming over soon. You can find these apps at portal.arbitrum.one, and you can bridge your assets over to Arbitrum using bridge.arbitrum.io in order to experience DeFi and NFTs the way it was always meant to be. Fast, cheap, and friction-free. All right, guys, we are back with some takes of the week. Uh, let's start here. This is a take written by Cooper Turley and Lucas Campbell from, from the Bankless team. Web 2 allows you to focus on the quantity of your fans. Web 3 allows you to focus on the quality of your fans. Interesting distinction. Quantity or quality over quantity is the difference between Web 3 and Web 2. What do you think this means? Yeah, I, I think the connection here is that because we have native money and things like private keys that allow us to put money directly into the hands of users, we can actually start to reward users differentially based on their value to the artist or value to the system. Uh, so what this does is that if you are a, an individual fan who is you know, the, the biggest fan of all time, like you can be rewarded for expressing that you are the biggest fan of all time, where in like, if you're the biggest fan of all time, but you're just listening on Spotify, you are intermingled with lesser fans. Uh, and so Web3 and private keys allow you to more granularly uh, uh, acknowledge the differing levels of fandom in the space. Uh, and so we are allowing actual quality of fandom to rise up out of the, there's the sifts of the, the basal level of just like Spotify plays. This is the rise of the super fans, and uh, Web3 definitely provides a conduit for, for that. It's less um, less of an aggregation technology the way Web2 has been. Um, this is your take, David. Uh, why don't you read it out? Yeah, uh, so I, I've been trying to uh, help my friend get onboarded into into Layer 2s, and we're doing some, uh, some airdrop farming on Ar Ar Arbitrum, which I think everyone's trying to do these days. But then I was like, had this like choice paralysis as to like how to actually use the applications on Arbitrum in a way that would actually cast a net to like farm the airdrop. And I was looking at all the apps and I was like- Farm a future Arbitrum airdrop future, that you're speculating Arbitrum. on. Yes, yes, uh, yeah, right, exactly. Thank you for that. Um, and so I was, it just made me think like, how are these layer twos actually going to distribute tokens? Because it seems like a really hard problem because we want to reward whales and liquidity, but we don't want to centralize the token supply. We want to mitigate airdrop farmers, which is kind of what we're doing, but without also disqual disqualifying small fries. Like how do, you, how do you differentiate people that just put 500 or $200 into Arbitrum and just because that's all the money that they have versus people that are spreading out $200 all over the place on many different addresses trying to farm the airdrop. Like, how do we do that? Uh, and also, how do we fairly reward applications that have differing uses and different, differing, uh, different uh, levels of adoption and quality? Like, 
really, I don't really see a good solution to algorithmically retroactively do this uh, in the same way that like ENS or Uniswap had a fantastic like programmatic sort of um, uh, you know retroactive airdrop. And so really the only way I kind of see this like working out is like a top-down best judgment distribution from the actual teams. Um, so this is just something I'm, I'm thinking about. If you have ideas about how uh, layer twos might distribute airdrops, uh, let me know because I want to use that strategy. <laughs> Also, we published an article in Bankless this week about some speculation from uh, William Peaster on how this, how Layer 2s might do that. So uh, link to that in the show notes as well. Um, here's another take by RAC. And uh, I think this whole thread is really worth using. The whole using. thread is fantastic. It's a thread about NFT hatred. And he starts it off like this. Okay, so you hate NFTs. Cool. Let's talk about it. This is a, an artist, music, music artist. Great artist. Uh, so coming from a, a, a creator background, and he is talking about um, the benefits of NFTs. And I really feel like he is, he is addressing the criticisms head on. It's like a 10-tweet thread yeah. or so, mm -hmm. and it's definitely worth watching. There was a, uh, a large YouTube video that, mm -hmm. that blew up, like got 4 million views or something like this. Do you remember what that was called, David? Uh, um, up line up something up. Yes. Line, line up something. Yes. Uh, anyway, <laughs> line go the, up. Yes. Line go up this, this massive criticism about NFTs. And I feel like RAC is hitting them thread, uh, is addressing them head on. We probably don't have time to, to go through all of them, but how about this, this tweet? I'll, I'll read it out, David, and get your comments. A lot of people seem to miss the entire point of NFTs is to make content free while making ownership scarce. Nobody is forcing you to pay for an NFT. You can still enjoy it for free alongside everybody else. You like my music? You can have it for free. That's the thing is like, what I don't understand about the whole NFT anger, hatred, is it's not a zero sum game here. Like you people who hate NFTs, like you're not losing anything. Don't buy them. This is only upside for the creator. The creator gets this, not some big corporation, you know, faceless evil empire music, um, you know, record label executive. It's the creator. It's directly to the creator. Uh, it's something I've never understood about this argument. What, what, what do you think? He said. Yeah, this goes goes back to exactly what we were saying about Web two is quantity and Web three is quality. That allows fans that really really care to buy NFTs. And that is the funding model for artists to incentivize them to produce more total aggregate free content. Let the people who want to pay the money pay the money so that the artists can get funded without uh, all these intermediaries taking their unfair cut so that the artists can be more creative and do more creative stuff. I think people are still just wrapping their heads around what it means to have like internet property ownership where in like, before in the web two world, there was no such thing as owning anything digitally on the internet. And so like now that we, in the web three world, we have digital property. That means that like, I have this thing and you don't have it. And you not having it is I think triggering to a lot of the, like the web two folk that haven't got their heads wrapped around it. Oh yeah, that's but, an interesting point. Yeah, but they haven't, if they haven't considered that, no, they actually still have the free content. And in fact, it's actually getting even better because we've made this new property thing that's going to the Web3 people. So I think Web2 people are just kind of seeing, being, being excluded and they're not seeing the increased total quantity and quality of content come out of that. Yeah, there's some social dynamics that are, that are definitely playing out and uh, some pushback. Um, let's, uh, let's talk about Justin Kang. So he's the guy who built Twitch. Uh, Twitch, of course, has millions of users. And he tweets this out. Um, yeah, I built Twitch. Has millions of users. And gaming NFTs are way bigger. 
really cool to see Mic web drop. two builders mm -hmm. that are super bullish on gaming on nfts on web3 now that's starting to happen i feel like this bridge between web2 builders and web3 builders is starting to be crossed yeah and of course the most the the next tweet following that thread is an anti-nft hater let's see how many oh, likes really they got. oh only 200 okay not too bad yeah, that's bad that's <laughs> bad okay uh yeah when the guy that built twitch says that nfts game and gaming is going to be way bigger uh yeah uh big deal yeah uh alpha leak too he's coming on overpriced jpegs from Bankless Podcast with Carly Riley. If you are not listening to that on a regular basis, you should be, especially if you want to stay up to date on NFTs. It is the Bankless for NFTs. Yes, it is the NFT alpha that I go to because NFTs are just too big of an industry for Bankless to cover. So Yeah, and I'm Carly still here collecting turtles, okay? It's like, what do I know about <laughs> NFTs? Dear God. Um, speaking of Web3, mm -hmm. is Web3 an echo chamber? This is a, a, a take from uh, Bantag. Bantag, yep. I thought that was a fantastic take. Uh, this uh, the first time I've ever heard a take like this is uh, Bitcoin is money for enemies, as in like two enemies can send bitcoins to each other because they can use Bitcoin as a. Trust. I really like that line. Bitcoin yeah. is money for enemies. Yeah. Uh, and so Bantech is taking this to Web3, where Web3 is a place to share with your enemies. If you think that you can make everyone conform to your echo chamber, you are either naive or in the wrong business. Because Web3 is open, public, permissionless protocols, everyone's going to be on them. And so like with all of this like crypto Twitter infighting that we've had in the last like two weeks, it, that's just mass adoption. That's just different communities coming into the same spot and like bumping into each other. Uh, and that's kind of what we're going to have to figure out how to establish some sort of stable equilibrium. And that will just happen over time. But yeah, the, the Web3 is not an echo chamber. It's literally got all of the opinions in it. Well, I love that in Web3, you can't ban people you don't like. I love that it kind of forces, um, forces people in the same room together. Mm -hmm. uh hug as he out. put it it's it's it's, hug it's it a, yeah hug it out hopefully right mm -hmm. resolve your differences mm -hmm. hopefully but we're all there together um that's cool all right man look we're almost at the end of this episode and i feel like we just rug pulled everyone because we said in the intro this is going to be two two hours which goes to show you david and i have no idea how long these episodes are going to last <laughs> on a weekly basis we just we have no concept we did a pretty good job of going real fast on this one yeah we did uh i guess yeah n nice so mm -hmm. just turn that into a compliment um what are you excited about this week though as we end things david yeah so what i'm excited about is uh i kind of said this earlier when we talked about ethy asset ethy asset we, we just did that show with ryan alice about uh the, the dcf model for eth and then a community member came in with their own version of a dcf a dcf model and said no like i think these are the numbers we have people debating about the numbers and the metrics of ether the asset that is the only asset that has the properties to be able to even facilitate that type of conversation. And so when Ether, when Ethereum goes through the merge and we have uh, the reduction of supply issuance because proof of work goes to proof of stake and the average individual can stake at home or stake through some service, the what Ether the asset is fundamentally changes in the whole comparative trade about like, well, if Ether is worth this, Solana should be worth this. That's just gonna go out the window because these things, you can't compare these things at that point in time. Uh, and so what I'm excited about, Ryan, and I know this is going to be a little toxic, ETH, Maxi, whatever, is being able to say, I told you so. Around the time of the merge, when ETH just does some gangbusters price action, either before the merge or right after the merge or for like the next following decade, uh, the differences between Ether, the asset, and every other asset inside of crypto and also outside of crypto is uncomparable. Uh, and so I'm looking forward, Ryan, to seeing that play out and and having people say like, oh, like, oh, they were talking about what is now everyone else is talking about. 
for David, it's not about making money. It's about being right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it does. I mean, look, it, I, 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 I understand what you're saying because it has felt like sort of um, for a long time uh, being a prophet in the wilderness. Like we were talking about ETH and its value proposition since $80 mm-hmm. on, on bank lists, right? Mm-hmm. Like a couple of years ago. Triple and so we're already on the path to uh to some of that that you know gratification of uh, like like being able to to um talk about and i i I do think the merge will be another major catalyst on that trajectory um that's cool man i know you're totally excited about that too ryan but i know you're also excited about other stuff so what else are you excited about Uh, yeah i'm excited about other stuff you know what this week it kind of hit me uh with the whole you know the the whole 3.6 billion dollar hack and how crazy that was and how you know the lunacy of that thing that everyone just can't stop talking about crypto like it's saturating everywhere it's like because we got everything this is a car every week it's a carnival and we get to do this on the roll-up so it so it feels like this like it's finance so we got the bloomberg side we've got uh entertainment so this is like the you know e celebrity news sort of thing we got all these celebs buying in we got politics we're just talking about Russia and China, geopolitics, Beijing Olympics. We've got economics. Okay, this is about like wealth inequality and like you know bringing more people into the economy. We've got technology. It spans all media. People. That's why people can't stop talking about crypto, and it's going to saturate every single part of media the way the internet did. Um, so that's what's cool to me. It's just it's all the weird stuff that happens. It feels very weird. Like it feels very natural. And it feels very organic. And uh, I don't think the world's going to be able to stop talking about crypto. And ultimately, what is that? It's bullish. That's bullish for this asset class. Because even when they're saying negative things about it, they're talking about it, aren't they? And uh, I I don't see that going away anytime soon. We're going to continue to be in the news cycle for either some weird entertainment things, some celebrity adoption, a new music artist, like billions of dollars in hacks. Like It's going to be in the news cycle for this entire decade. That's what uh, that's what I'm excited about. And I think that this goes to show that crypto is about everything. Like it's not just money. Crypto is going to take over the world because it's relevant to literally everything. That is like the fundamental bull case for crypto. It's relevant to politics. It's relevant to geopolitics. It's relevant to money. It's relevant to finance. It's relevant to culture. Every just how like exactly what you said. The internet touched everything. Crypto will also touch everything. Uh, so the fact that everyone's talking about it is just you know one of the big fundamentals behind this whole space. Bullish crypto content producers, I think, David. <laughs> yeah, we're never good. Right. You know, here's a funny story. When David really and I first started this, security. when we first started this podcast, I was like, uh, "But can we do a weekly podcast? Are we going to have enough things to talk about each week?" This is when we were doing one episode a week. That's what I was worried about at the time. Yeah, now we'd have 4.5 episodes a week. 5.5 if you're a premium subscriber. Oh, there you go. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, ni- ni- nice premium shill at the end, David. Glad yeah, we fit like that in. Um, mm-hmm. Hey, meme of the week time. We what go. are we looking at this week? Boom. Okay, so this is, of course, a reference to the Bitfinex hackers where we have the expectation where the hackers are like the Ozark family. I'm not, I don't follow this. Uh, oh, I Ozark. just watched it. I watched like yeah. the last season. It's good. Yeah, okay. So Ozark family, I'm assuming some sort of like very professional, well-done, uh, optimized uh, hackers of some type. Yeah, money. Uh, then, they're professional money launderers, basically. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, and fraudsters, good, good yeah. at their jobs. Uh, and then in reality, we have these two like <laughs> squares, like in- insane lunatics. Who uh, I mean, I guess they were successful money launderers for a while. Except struggling for influencers. They, struggling influencers who uh, held almost four billion dollars worth of Bitcoin on private keys that were on a cloud database and poorly encrypted. Yeah, guys. 
That's the meme of the week. Just waiting, waiting to see what happens next week. Lesson um, learned. If you steal $4 billion worth of Bitcoin, don't, don't store it in the cloud. <laughs> David, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shout out risks and disclaimers. But uh, first, you want to give them a, a teaser of the moment of Zen that's coming up? Just don't listen to it. It's terrible. It's so bad. <laughs> it's it's the it's Heather trying to be a rapper. Don't let your don't listen to it. Don't let you definitely don't let your kids listen to it. But yeah. after Ryan gives out his disclaimers, it's coming. Yeah, it's definitely risky. It's probably the riskiest thing about this entire episode. Of course, though, none of this has been financial advice. ETH is risky. Bitcoin is risky. DeFi is risky. You could lose what you put in. But we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone. But we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. And now it's time for your moment of Zen. Bad bitch. Go on, make me a sandwich. You annoying like vag itch. So lame. It's fucking tragic. Bad bitch, bad bitch, motherfucking bad bitch, bad bitch, bad bitch, motherfucking bad bitch, bad bitch, bad bitch, motherfucking bad bitch, bad bitch, bad bitch, bad bitch.